Well, I also want to say good morning to you, uh, those here at our 930 Cornerstone service, as well as those uh, upstairs in the cafe. If we have not met, uh, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here. Uh, and even though we have uh, already done the offering, I just want you to know, I hope that you gave big today. Uh, and I, I, want, I want you to know why. Uh, you may have already experienced this for yourself, but we had trunk or treat last night. And word got out. I mean, it really, really got out. We had double what we'd ever had before as far as far as I know we we multiple multiple runs to Walmart if there's no candy left at Walmart it's it's uh, because we bought all the candy uh, there were so many kids here last night in fact I was afraid there was going to be no parking for people coming to Saturday night worship I mean, that's how many people who were here uh, for trunk retreat so if you were a part of that thank you uh, those who had a trunk uh, and gave out candy all those who were here uh, to bless those kids and, and, and those families uh, it was a really really great evening here uh, last night in case uh, you were not here with us uh, if you have your Bible today I want to encourage you to open that to the Gospel of John chapter 4 uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you we have blue Bible in all of our worship spaces and you can find John chapter 4 on page 1652 in those Bibles that we have available for you. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, I'd love for you to stop by one of our connecting points and uh, we would love to give you uh, a Bible as our gift uh, to you. Uh, we are in the second week of this series and uh, I started it last week uh, by noting two things. The first, uh, to share with you the big idea of the entire series, the why behind everything that you're going to hear, uh, what we're going to continue to drive home each and every week of the series, uh, which is this, that we believe that we all have a story worth sharing. That's the first thing I shared with you. The second thing uh, was to acknowledge that I know almost none of you believe that. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is, is if this statement was a little bit different, if it was some of us have a story worth sharing. Everybody could get behind that uh, because you probably know somebody who you think has a story that's worth sharing, but some doesn't mean all. And all includes you. And it's a big difference to say, hey, I know somebody, they've got a great story. I'd love for them to share it. I'd love for others to hear it. There's a big difference between that and seeing our own story as something that is worth sharing with Others. I was uh, affirmed in this conviction this last week. One of our small group leaders uh, was telling me about how her group went, and she was, uh, they're using the discussion guide that we've put together for each message of the series. And she said everything was going great. They were engaged and talking and sharing their thoughts on the message they'd heard that weekend until I asked them to talk about their own story. And she said at that point, everybody did that thing that everyone does when you ask if anybody wants to close in prayer. It was like, uh, you know, don't make eye contact with the leader. Hopefully somebody else will talk, right? Nobody wanted to talk about their story, their, their, own, their own story. And again, we, we see it in the lives of others, but it's, it's very different to see it in ourselves. Each week, we're going to talk about three stories, we said. We're going to talk about God's story. We do that every week. So we open the Bible. We're going to talk about your story because we believe that we all have a story worth sharing. And we're going to talk about what we described as our story. And our story doesn't mean the story that you and I share or the story you share with the person seated next to you. Our story is the story that begins when God's story intersects with your story. This is the story that you share with God, the new story that begins in your life. And I ended last week with this note, that this story, the story that you share with God, this new story that begins in your life, 
it is not meant to replace everything that happened before. It's not meant to replace everything that had happened in your past. Instead, it's meant to transform everything that has happened so that you can step into a brand new future. And we're going to look at that today uh, through this story in John chapter 4. I want to frame it for you by sharing with you a couple of pictures. So uh, here's the first picture I want to share with you. Um, I don't know how long it took for this family to realize that this photo didn't quite turn out the way they expected it to. Uh, first, their youngest son is not in the picture. Uh, all we've got is the top of his head. And that Jimmy Fallon is in the background. You know, I don't know if they turned around and figured that out or maybe when they got home and saw, oh, wow, I, we didn't know that's what was in that picture. It wasn't quite what they expected, a memorable moment, but again, probably not the original intention of the photo. Let me show you the second one. It's like the first. Here's a beautiful moment. I mean, this is a beautiful, wonderful moment. A man down on one knee asking a, a, a huge question. They've brought their dog. I think that's kind of weird, but I, that looks intentional in, in some ways. But the stunned jogger in the front, I, I don't think that was a part of the picture. My guess is they took this picture again because there's something wrong with this picture right here, you know, that this is not as it was intended to be. And I, I share those with you to say that in John chapter 4, we see a completely unexpected picture. There are so many things wrong with what happens in John chapter 4 according to the cultural context in which Jesus lived. It's hard, it's hard to know where to begin. So I wanted to give that to you up front in one statement. Here's, here's everything that's wrong. We find a Samaritan woman drawing water in the heat of the day talking with a Jewish man in the middle of Samaria. It's a mouthful, I know, but, but this, is, this is everything that is wrong in what we're about to read here in John chapter 4. Things, things that are completely unexpected, you, you, you just would, would never imagine uh, a scenario where, where this is, is happening. So in John chapter 4, the first three verses, we're told that Jesus is leaving Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, and he's returning to the Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. In verse 4, this is the first red flag. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. And this just doesn't make sense for a couple reasons. Number one, if you're traveling from the southern area of Israel to the northern area of Israel, no one at that time and no one today goes through the area that used to be Samaria. You wouldn't go that way because it's through the mountain, it's an arduous journey, it's, it's, it's totally inefficient, it's, it's not the way you want to travel. In order to get from the south to the north, you go up the Jordan River Valley where the land is flat, nice, nice road you can, uh, you, you can walk up or, or drive up. You, you wouldn't have walked through the area known as Samaria because it just doesn't make sense. But secondly, no, no Jewish man or woman would have made the journey from, uh, fr from the southern to the northern area of Israel, passing through Samaria, because Samaritans lived in Samaria. And I won't get into all of it, but, but just hear this. There was incredible animosity between these two groups of people. There was anger, there was hatred. They completely avoided one another. But for some reason, Jesus felt like he had to go through Samaria. Verse five, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So here's red flag number two. We've been told it's noon, okay? It's hot. This is not the time to bring your water jars from the uh, nearby village to, to refill them at the well. Uh, this, this wasn't the customary time. What, what the women in the village would do is come later in the day when the temperatures had cooled off. They'd come as a group together to draw water from the well, but for reasons that we will soon discover, uh, this woman evidently was not welcome uh, with that larger group who would come later in the day. And so there, in the middle of the day, she is there to draw water, and this Jewish man actually speaks to her. Which is why we uh, have what we have in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John adds this note, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And then perhaps sarcastically she asks, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Perhaps more intrigued with this offer, the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to this well. Jesus then says, Go call your husband and come back. She replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, I don't know about you, but it sure seems like this conversation took an awkward turn. Does, that, does anybody else feel that? Like this, this is the moment of the dramatic pause, right? As the woman stares at Jesus, perhaps her jaw drops, and she's thinking, what in the world is going on? And what, what do I say in response to this? Uh, well, listen to what she says. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. And probably in the back of her head, she's thinking, and evidently you're a pretty good one. <laughs> and then she does what we all do when we are uncomfortable. She changes the subject. And, and she uh, it gets into a little bit of a debate with Jesus about where is the proper place to worship. Because for the Samaritans, it was there. For the Jews, it was in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and Jesus gives her uh, his own response to that. And then you see she sort of tries to wrap up the conversation in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. <laughs> so we'll just wait for that. And then Jesus declared, verse 26, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Now, if you look at verse 27, you see that this is when the disciples return. And they return finding this, uh, this picture, and they are completely surprised because, again, this is something totally unexpected for them, uh, that, that, that for them to see, that there is a Samaritan woman drawing water in the heat of the day, talking with the Jewish man in the middle of Samaria. I'm guessing that most of you have uh, seen the movie The Wizard of Oz. It's been out for quite some time, so hopefully these are no spoiler alerts here. Uh, I want you, if you've seen the movie, I want you to remember uh, with me one of the final scenes of that that movie. It's after uh, Dorothy and her friends return to the wizard. Uh, They have fulfilled the task that the wizard had given to them, uh, and and they return hoping that the wizard and expecting that the wizard is going to grant the request that they had shared with him. And and they're they're filled with joy uh, from what they have survived and to to be able to share this news with the wizard. And and in response, the wizard says, you know, I can't really take care of that today. You're going to have to come back tomorrow. And that's just not good enough for, for Dorothy and her friends because they've just been through a whole lot. And so really in anger, they, they are not pleased with this idea that they have to come back tomorrow to receive the, for, to be, uh, to, for the wizard to grant the request that, that they had asked. And, and then the camera changes angles and we see Toto. Uh, by the way, we had a Do- Dorothy and a Toto last night at, at Trunk or Treat. Uh, Toto uh, is, is grabbing hold of a curtain and, and he's kind of pulling it back a little bit. And then you hear the wizard's voice saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It's happening behind them. They, they think they're facing the wizard, but as, as Toto continues to pull the curtain, the, the game is up. And Dorothy sees the man. And she says, who are you? And he turns to the microphone and says, I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. And in her anger and incredible disappointment, this is what Dorothy says to him. She says, you are a bad man. (laughs) And the wizard responds by saying this, oh no, my dear, I am a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman who is simply trying to make it through another day. She's come in the heat of the day to fill her water jars, to survive, to see another day. And she is fully aware of the complete mess that her life had become. Now, we don't know everything about her story. We don't know all the circumstances that led uh, to, to the things that she had experienced in her life, but she knew them. And by the end of this conversation, she knew that Jesus knew them too. And if this had been you or I, We'd heard this this offering, this this invitation that Jesus gives of of living water that would quench our thirst uh, uh, continually, never thirsting again, becoming in us a a well that that springs up to eternal life. If we had heard that invitation and if at the peak of our excitement, Jesus had changed the subject and pulled back the curtain 
and let us know that he knew all that stuff in our own life that we didn't want anyone else to know, then we would surely have expected the next thing for Jesus to say to sound something like what Dorothy said to the wizard. You are a bad man. You are a bad woman. But that's not what Jesus said. Somehow, Jesus communicated to her a totally different message than what we would expect to hear. And and here's how we know that, by the way, because again, the disciples interrupt the conversation. She leaves. But if you look at verse 39, uh, this is after Jesus shares a conversation with his disciples. This is kind of a summary of what happened after that. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town, her town, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. And then John tells us what her testimony was. She went back and said, he told me everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. For some reason, somehow, this was the best part. This was the good news. What should have been the bad news somehow became for her the good news. And this is the final and most shocking surprise in this completely unexpected and wonderfully miraculous story that what should have been bad news for her had become good news. Last week we talked about that many of us don't think we have a story worth sharing because we don't know the worth of our story. We don't know what it is that's worth sharing with others. We, we can get through the first four words, my name is, whatever your name is, but what comes after that? What else might we share? What else might be valuable to somebody else? We add this reason today that, that we struggle to see our story as worth sharing in part because we know the shame of our story. And we do with that what we have always done with that, what all those who have come before us have done with that, going all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, the man and the woman who we meet in Genesis chapter 3, of this episode in Genesis chapter 3, we hide it. We put it behind the curtain. And we hope that it will never be found. We, We buy into this lie that we are really, really bad people. So we should probably become really good wizards until Jesus comes along and he tells us that in fact the exact opposite is true, that you are a good man, you are a good woman, but you are not very good at living a lie and you are not very good at trying to live like the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. To understand the worth of your story requires us to hear something from Jesus. And what Jesus shares with each of us is that every part of your story plays a part in our story. 
Every part of your story, every part of your life continues to play a part in this new story that you write with God. The parts that you're proud of and the parts that you're not. The parts that you are more than happy for everyone to see and the parts that you have hidden away behind the curtain hoping, never, hoping no one will ever discover have happened in your life. The amazing, miraculous moments, the moments of, uh, of great celebration, those mountaintop experiences and the massive mistakes of your life. The celebrations, the success, but also the suffering that you have endured in your life. Every part of your story plays a part in our story. And the reason for that is that Jesus does more than just forgive us. Jesus redeems us. What that means is that Jesus has the power to bring life to those parts of us that have died. Jesus has the power to transform what happened in the past, the hurt that we experienced because of someone else's decision or the hurt that we caused others because of the decision that we had made. Jesus doesn't ignore the wounds. Jesus, in fact, is himself the bandage. He is the one who brings healing and restoration. He comes to do more than just forgive us. He comes to redeem us, to make us whole, to heal us fully and completely, which is why every part of your story plays a part in our story. That's the message from Jesus. All those things that you've hidden away the invitation is to pull back the curtain. To pull back the curtain and to recognize that every part of your story plays a part in this new story that God begins to write in your life. Now, if that sounds too good to be true or you find yourself wondering, okay, well, what, is, what does that look like? How, do I, how would I move forward in that? How do I claim that promise? I want to give you just three, uh, three simple ideas. Uh, they're simple ideas, but they're very difficult to do. And that is to pull back the curtain and, and first to name it. Name whatever it is that you have hidden away in your life that you're hoping no one will ever see. You name it because in naming it, you are claiming power over it. Shame thrives in secrecy. Shame demands to stay in the dark. Shame says, just ignore it. Don't pay any attention to it. Pretend like it's not there. Shame wants to stay in the dark, but when you name it, light begins to come in. And as light becomes to come in, you claim, uh, reclaim some power over this thing that you've hidden away in your life. And so once you name it, the second step is to share it which this is the step that shame definitely does not want you to do. Shame tells you this is a horrible idea. This will not go well for you. Everyone in your life will reject you. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. But when we share it with one another, here's what happens. Confession doesn't lead to where we think it does. It doesn't lead to judgment. Confession leads to freedom. Because when we confess, when we share it, when we say it out loud, we are destroying the power that shame has been wielding in our life. And sometimes uh, the, the way this happens is when we speak it out loud to another person, 
we have the chance for another person, we, we, we create the opportunity for another person to speak a word of life back to us. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've had somebody who has named it and has come to me to share it. And the first thing I think is, how long have you been carrying this? How long have you been carrying this? How long has this been weighing you down? We, we do this carefully. We do this with people that we love, people who we know love us, and we, and we trust them. And once you've named it and you've shared it, it gets easier to do the third thing, which is to give it. It's to give it to Jesus. To give it to Jesus out of this conviction that Jesus makes meaning out of every moment of our lives. The good and the bad, success and the failure, the, 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 the best days and the worst days. That Jesus makes meaning out of every single moment. Jesus has the power to redeem and heal and restore. And this last step, by the way, is probably something that you'll have to do again and again and again because you're going to want to take it back. You're going to want to keep carrying it. And again, you're going to have to name it. And maybe again, you're going to have to share it. And again, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to give it, surrender it to Jesus. I want you to just hear this incredible surprise that for the woman at the well, what should have been the worst news became for her the best news. What should have been the worst news, he knew everything I ever did. He knew everything that ever happened to me in my life. All those things that she had spent so much time and energy running from and hiding from and hoping no one would ever discover about her life. All that shame. Jesus knew it all. And somehow, the fact that he knew it was the best news that she had ever heard. Now, here's what I know is uh, to be true. Having preached for more than 20 years of my life is what you're all going to do when we leave is you're going to start thinking about what's for lunch, okay? And then, like, what game you're going to watch this afternoon. And even if, even if you think, wow, there's some things I need to name, there's some things I need to share, you're going to get hungry, right? And, and you're also going to find it hard to sit down for a minute and, and actually do this work. So I want to invite you just to, just to take a minute. And I want to invite you to close your eyes. And I want to invite you to think about what it is that you need to name. Just to pull back that curtain. And as you do that, I just want to encourage you. I, I know some of you may struggle to actually describe it. You may struggle to give it a name, but you need to do that. You need to give it a name so that you can reclaim the power that shame has stolen from you. What is its name? And then I want you to think about who in your life you might share that with. 
Who do you know that you know loves you and wants nothing but the best from you? Who do you know that will speak truth into your life? And now I want to pray that you would have the courage to give it to Jesus. Holy and loving God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this unexpected surprise. For we were ready to hear it. We knew what those next words were going to be. The words we've been speaking to ourselves for so long, we were ready to hear, you've been bad. We had no idea that you would say that we are good. And that everything that has happened in our life, everything that we have experienced, is not only something that you know, but it's something that you care about. Something that you want to heal, restore, redeem. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in my own life as well. I pray, Lord, you give us the courage to give it to you. In faith, trusting that you can do something with it. Help us, Lord, to be brave. To allow you to transform everything that has happened in our past. And, and in that, Lord, to begin to understand a little bit more about what is worth sharing from our story. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.